Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Encouraging Word. Or uh, what are we? Three weeks now, Stephen, into our new yeah, I think it's three weeks. Our podcast uh, name, and I, I think it fits. I, I think yeah. uh, I'm, I'm getting attached to it. So uh, mm. I think this is this is it. Encouraging Word is is right. who we are, what we're about. That's and encouraging to hear. Thank you. I, I, I feel <laughs> I feel encouraged to know that our title is going to stick. Good word. Yes, yes. It's it's an encouraging word, really. Right. At the end of the day, um, so we are encouraging word. Stephen and, and Paul here with you today, and uh, we continue on our uh, path into the discovery of various world belief systems and, and religions, and we have a lot to cover today. So what I'd like to do is. Uh, get us going quickly with our fit segment. Uh, we're, we're a few weeks into our new podcast title, but also a few weeks into this uh, newly introduced segment, just to kind of what lighten the lighten the mood a bit. Um, unless you have something really heavy to share, and then I'm setting you up really poorly here. But uh, lighten the mood and and just a chance to uh, connect on a more personal level for a moment before we dive into to some of this more heady stuff. Uh, so our fit segment, for those who may not know, or uh, Stephen and I each week take a, a moment just to share something that uh, is either funny or interesting or thought-provoking uh, that we've experienced, encountered somehow in the last in the last week or so. And uh, so I'll I'll share this week. Uh, I'm not sure why. I'm not quite understanding <laughs> why the things that I share gravitate towards the top of uh, you know the options that I have before me. But this week I, I want to talk about tree swings. Uh, Stephen, do you have a tree swing? Nope. Did no you ever have swings. a tree swing? Uh, our old, one of the churches we went to back in Kansas City had a tree swing. Okay. Nah. Yeah, I, I, I want to I um, offer support for tree swings for a second. Uh, so when we moved into our home here in Rocky River, uh, we we have a beautiful tree in the front yard that is uh, was just perfect for a tree a tree swing and so my brother-in-law who's really handy with carpentry made my daughter a tree swing for Christmas and uh, it's been hanging there for I think uh, going on seven years and I've had to adjust the the height once or twice which with a, a tree swing just means wrapping it over the branch one more time uh, which is nice and convenient but uh, the cool thing about tree swings is they're a, a great uh, community connecting piece too because uh, not only does my daughter and, and uh, my sons have used it too but have a place to just go out and chill in the front yard and, and have fun and relax at the same time but we've had uh, young families that have walked by our front uh, yard down the sidewalk and and uh, their kids will just stop and swing in our swing for a minute. Usually, you, you don't yell at them. Get off my lawn! <laughs> <laughs> One day when I become an old curmudgeon, <laughs> right. that would probably be my response. Don't swing on my swing. <laughs> yes, yes, it's uh, it's fragile. No, uh, yeah, we we encourage use of the swing. In fact, um, and yeah. it's it's fun to watch the kids out there enjoying it. Uh, so yeah, I, I just wanted to take a moment to be. A, uh, the only problem with my tree swing is I, it's a little crooked. <laughs> I haven't figured out how to because if you lift the one side up, um, you, you know, then then it's too crooked the other way. So if anybody has a solution to that, I'm I'm all ears. Uh, but you know, that aside, tree swings are fantastic. Stephen, what do you that's, got for us? Oh yeah, that's really good. I like uh, tree the tree swing one. <laughs> um, did you have a sign that says free swings? No, uh, you know, we should. It's, <laughs> it's crossed my mind. Yeah, please swing on our swing right. or enjoy yeah. the swing or 
yeah we'd have to nail it into the tree or something right. and then the tree would die and then the swing <laughs> oh would fall God. and you know you right. see how that would go right. so. yeah that's let's just think in the happiest terms <laughs> um yeah so my fit would be i mean it's I'm starting to realize a pattern in my fit section here is that it always involves my kids. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe next week I got to find something that doesn't involve my kid doesn't involve my kids. So, um, but this one this week um, I kind of want to mention two things. One is that I'm just amazed about how kids are so friendly and how kids are just so open to speaking to people that they don't know. Um, as <laughs> as you know, as you become an adult. Um, you tend to be like, we're not going to talk to people. We're just going to, I'm just going in the store. I'm just leaving. I'm just walking down the street. I'm like, we don't, there's this tendency to not get a tendency to not to really know our neighbors and spend time with them. But I'm just amazed how uh, my girls are just, they wave at passing cars and they, <laughs> and they um, just like, we have a neighbor uh, right across the fence from us. And if you, if you've seen home improvement at all um you might remember was it wilson wilson yeah. right and you never never could see his mouth and he would just talk over the fence um to tim allen's character um which was his name um oh tim yeah tim all right well <laughs> anyways <laughs> so i just like my girls will do that we have a they will just that once they hear their neighbors all opening their back porch door they run over to the fence and they just like how are you doing hey hey <laughs> so and as a parent i'm kind of like don't talk to the neighbors but then i start to realize that's actually what we need to do so i've actually been kind of convicting just looking at my um, girls and watching how they're just so friendly and open um, and then the last thing I would say is uh, one of the funny things is that we have a, um, a digital picture frame basically and pictures um, come up and my youngest daughter Anaya was there was uh, they went trick-or-treating I think it was last year and there was like um, our two girls and then two other families so the, Anaya was going through and, and talking about all the different people, talking about the kids in the picture. She's like, oh, that's that's Anaya. Of course, she doesn't say that to me. She says, that's Anaya. <laughs> that's McKenna. That's Liam. That's Ellie. And then she gets to, hmm, I don't know what human, her, I don't know what human that is. <laughs> so <laughs> I just found that fascinating that she says, uh, what human is that? Or, I don't know who, what kind of human that is. So I just found that really funny. Um, well, early in life, you got to establish the basics, right? right? And it's right. good to know <laughs> right. that your daughter has has discerned what a, a human what is, a human is um, yes. in contrast yeah. to other uh, <laughs> creatures that might appear <laughs> right. on the digital frame. Right? Yeah, we don't know what other kind of creatures were trick or treating with us, but we know that we were with our group. It was all humans. Um, <laughs> there could have been other monsters and such trick-or-treating as far as you know they're right. all humans and yeah <laughs> if you watch enough movies you know you right. find out that That's sometimes true. you get exactly. a, a unpleasant surprise yeah. you know, right. down the road you never know uh, men in black right yes yeah so. there you go you're picking up what i'm laying down <laughs> yeah kids are kids are uh entertaining steven and i were talking about his pattern of uh you know referencing his his kids and how they're still young and and cute and say <laughs> these funny things and i told him i'm gonna have to go home and force my teenagers <laughs> to do something cute so i have something to talk about next week right but i'm sure they'll just glare at me and and say whatever dad yeah, right exactly <laughs> 
Uh, so, so we're here to talk about world religions and humans, uh, you know, on a more global sense. And uh, last week we covered secularism and had a dandy of a time doing it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm learning a lot through this, and oh, yeah. this week yeah. is definitely no exception. Right. Uh, we're, we're diving headfirst today into two religions, and we chose to cover two today because, at least from our outside perspective, we feel like there's a lot of commonalities between the two. Uh, they're, they're based on some of the same larger concepts and principles, so at least uh, as far as the foundational pieces, we can lay those and, and have some overlap between uh, how the two appear to us. So uh, we're going to cover both Hinduism and Buddhism, um, and, and Buddhism actually evolved out of Hinduism, another reason we thought the two would go well together. And uh, just, uh, you know, some, some clarity, some honesty before we get started. Uh, as we shared the last couple of weeks, Stephen and I are doing uh, basically an exploratory um, uh, journey here of trying to introduce you to these faith systems. Um, but especially this week, I've, I've uh, you know, run smack dab into the reality that, wow, am I out of my league here, right? Because I'm, right. Uh, what we're doing essentially is, is we're uh, trying to learn about these faith systems that exist and are, are very tightly entwined into a completely different culture that I know little to nothing about, have never experienced. And then the belief system itself uh, contains concepts that are very foreign to uh, to a Western mind, I think, in general. And so um, we're, we're going to try and introduce these to you. Know that we, we have done our homework. We've done some good reading, taken some good notes, um, but it's not going to come across like uh, uh, taking a you know a, a university course on world religion. We're just not to that point. Um, but we're excited to share some of these larger concepts with you. We better get going because we got a lot to cover today uh, once again. So Stephen's going to give us some of the basics uh, on Hinduism uh, about beliefs and and uh, wherever you want to take us to, to lay us a foundation here, yeah. Stephen. Yeah, so I just yeah, repeating all that Paul said, we are definitely not experts at all. We are just like um, you, our listeners, that we are um, in a sense. I, I mean, I did take a class on world religions, um, so I have a little bit of background, but I'm no expert at all. So hopefully what we're, we can share with you can be helpful. And, uh, and I would say <laughs> I love the reading rainbow saying, take a look it's in a book so um, that's kind of how we're doing it we're giving you the basics but if you really want to dig further there's so many resources out there um, but I also encourage if you're looking for resources I think it's knowing that we are <laughs> a church podcast a Christian podcast I would encourage going through some Christian sites that really explain um, these religions or even just going to sources from um, these religions um, but looking at it from a Christian perspective Anyways, so we're going to start with Hinduism, and I'm going to give, again, the, some of the very basics of this, of this faith. Um, Hinduism is primarily in India. About 85% of Hindus are uh, in India. Um, and just, I want to say this real quickly, too, um, that I think as Christians we need to be praying for the country of India right now. Mm -hmm. um, the virus has just been really, really bad. Um, has really ravaged that nation um, and they're going through a lot right now so I would encourage you to keep because um, there are also Christian brothers and sisters and we pray for those who aren't Christians as well mm -hmm. um, but there are definitely also Christian brothers and sisters who are suffering um, because of the virus and just a reminder that this virus is not over with <laughs> even though in America we're, we're getting a surplus of vaccines and 
And maybe that's something that we need to think of as a nation is um, providing these vaccines for other countries. But um, not so that not that we're not doing it, but um, definitely keeping in mind um, those the countries around us. Anyways, um, I want to um, speaking of Hinduism. Hinduism is a collection of traditions. It's one of the few ancient religions to survive into modern times. It's it's developed at least over 5,000 years ago is what one source I got. Some sources say it's a little um, a little bit earlier than that or a little bit later than that. So, um, But it is definitely has connections to ancient religions. Um, Hindu, Hindus consider the Hindu tradition as having no identifiable beginning or end, um, and they refer to it as the eternal way. Um, the Vedas... Oh, this, let me say this also before we get started. We are probably going to batch or botch. Already, b- I batched botch. <laughs> you botched botch. <laughs> you botched botch. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Uh, we are definitely going to uh, mess up these names, and uh, we're going to botch them, and not in an intent to do it on purpose, but because we're uh, Midwestern Americans, and we, <laughs> we don't know these Hindu and Buddhist words. Um, yeah, so that's just kind of a disclaimer there. Anyways, so the Vedas, um, one of Hindu's primary religious texts, means knowledge. Um, in the language that is written in and preserved through a religious oral tradition for thousands of years before being written down. So there was an oral tradition, just kind of like the scripture, there was an oral tradition before it was written down. Um, They present key Hindu teachings through hymns and and divine forces of nature. Um, And then Hindu philosophy is developed through other um, key and important writings. Um, There are at least four other yeah, four other writings um, that Hindus kind of get their philosophy from. There's countless stories and devotional um, poetry and commentaries and stuff from um, written by different sages. Um, so the basics of Hindu teaching, um, the deepest spiritual truth gleaned from the Vedas, which is the collection of traditions, is that Burma, or the Absolute, which is Burma's kind of like what, what as basically for Christians is what, who, whose God is is Burma or the absolute um, he he or it it's really more of an it pervades the entire universe um, this divine reality or its essence uh, this divine reality or its essential nature is present in all living beings eternal and full of bliss moreover moreover Burma is understood as a cause of creation, its creation, its preservation, and its dissolution. Um, so, so Burma is responsible for creation, preserving for creation, and for like, in other words, some say destroyer, um, but in essence, all of life. So, from creation to preserving life to death, um, it has um, that kind of. Uh, Authority, I guess you can say. In Hindu lore, there are three functions creation, substance, and dissolution or um, destroying are, are often depicted to be the work of what. So Burma is kind of broken down into three, really three important gods. We'll get to how in Hinduism there's a lot of gods, but the three primary ones Burma is, is the god, and then there's kind of like there's Vishnu and Silva, 
Um, so these three, Burma, Vishnu, and Silva, are really, um, they kind of call it the Hindu trinity in a way, because Burma is the creator, Vishnu is the preserver, and Silva is the destroyer. But Burma is like the god that all, so Burma is the substance in which all things come out of. Um, everything is one with Burma, essentially. Um, so that's kind of like the very basic teaching. A basic teaching would be that the goal of Hinduism, or what a Hindu is, their goal of, of salvation is to really to be connected with one with Burma um, is their goal. Um, so the goal is to, um, the solution for Hinduism is, is liberation, um, to be united with Burma. Um, to that that is the goal to realize that I'm going to be one with Burma um, is the goal so yeah that's a little bit of the basics um, I know that there's a lot more to go over yeah my my head's already spinning right <laughs> um, so yeah just to to reiterate and build upon some of that um, I think the one of the key distinguishing factors of of Hinduism is this notion of an impersonal God and that's one of the hardest things for me as a Christian to wrap my head around is um, you know when we think of God we we think of you know maybe not a, a person in, in the sense that it's uh, we picture a man or a woman or um, even though in our you know our, our, the roots of our patriarchal society we do tend to picture a, a masculine God um, not that there's any you know, basis for that, but uh, we one one way or another, we picture a personal uh, God. God is uh, a, a creature or, or a being that we can direct our attention to, we can converse with, we can at least look to and, and watch and understand, and or at least make an attempt to do so. Uh, Hinduism, God is impersonal. It's it's this uh, impersonal oneness um, that is uh, just the, the composition of all of uh, the universe is 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 God, and the purpose at the end of the day for, uh, as Stephen was saying, for us as individuals um, in Hinduism, is to begin to recognize that we are we essentially don't exist. We're not real, right? Is that how you understand it? That uh, we we're, we're just an illusion, and that ultimately we're a piece of this larger whole. That is the universe and uh, Brahma and this and this uh, impersonal God, and and to just kind of meld into that. That's that's what we're trying to achieve at the end of the day. Of the day is to um, to basically have our eyes open to the fact that we are just an illusion and and wholly and completely arrive at um, the knowledge that we're connected with and and just. Um, you know, a, a a small piece or part of this larger reality that is that is Brahma. Is that is that how you understood? Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I think it's definitely. Again, we have a lot. There's a lot of crossover <laughs> between Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, I think Buddhism definitely has a strong influence on um, the illusion, and Hinduism has a strong influence. I mean, they both have um, karma, but Hinduism karma really plays an important part in in the makeup of Hinduism. So what, um, I mean, I'll touch on karma. Karma is basically the, um, it's kind of a term that we've probably heard before in America that we use. It's, 
um, what comes around goes around sort of thing. Um, you reap what you sow. You reap right? what you sow, yeah. which, which is in scripture. So there's, I mean, so there's some crossover here, but it's the the concept is very different. Um, to some extent, this is accurate, but um, the word karma simply means act or deed. Um, according to Hindu philosophy, every action has a reaction or outcome. When an individual's actions are positive, selfless, and righteous, they will experience positive effects. If their actions, on the other hand, are negative, lying, stealing, hurting, the results will be negative. Karma of one's individual actions, actions, positive or negative, may be experienced immediately, or they could be experienced later in the present life, or even possibly in the future life for the lives to come. It's important to remember that an individual's karma is based on their thoughts, words, and actions, and the choices they make. So, um, and then with that karma, the whole goal, too, is that they're trying to escape um, samsara, which is reincarnation. Hmm. So there's a cycle of reincarnation that if you have good karma, you can come back as, I don't know. The human, an insect, right, or an animal right, are the right. three choices right. that I read. Right. If you have, like, bad karma, you can come back as an insect or an ant. Or if you have good karma, you can come back as... Um, I don't know, someone with a high standing or someone rich okay. or famous, whatever, something like that. And the goal is to escape that reincarnation, which is called muksha. So if you get muksha, you, you're liberated from reincarnation and then you finally become one with Burma. And they call this enlighten, enlightenment. Right. Right. When you obtain that, you've, you've right. obtained enlightenment. Exactly. And you uh, become one with the universe and you lose your distinct separate identity, right. which to us seems like a, a reason for uh, grief. Like we, we don't want to cease to exist as an individual, but for, for a Hindu, it's uh, cause for celebration because right. the truth is they never existed in the first place. So they've just um, moved past a place of ignorance and uh, accepted the ultimate reality and, and really come to terms with it, and it's a reason for celebration. Um, so I, I think what this book, uh, once again, that we're, we're drawing a lot of our, our information from, what it provides is some keys to witnessing, evangelizing um, with folks of these different belief systems. The, the book, once again, is The Compact Guide to World Religions by Dean Halverson. And so we'll share just a, a few of the thoughts here along the lines of how to witness, what are some of the uh, obstacles to, to witnessing to somebody from the Hindu uh, faith. Um, and, and first off, I'll start with a few keys to witnessing, and Stephen will jump in uh, with a few as well. One is uh, to, to really emphasize and encourage uh, the, the concept of forgiveness. So as a, a Hindu, as I understand it, um, you, 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 sin is a, a concept that is real to them, and, and it's closely tied to karma, and uh, your sins accumulate, and they cause you bad karma, and ultimately the consequence is you become further implanted in this uh, illusion of, of reality in, in your distinct uh, self. In the cycle of reincarnation. Yeah, you stay you're in this cycle. more stuck, more entrenched in that right. cycle. Uh, so sin is a, a bad thing. It's a real thing. It, it does have negative consequences. But what 
is different is that when you sin, the consequences are, are on you and you alone. There's no uh, victim, so to speak, um, and there's certainly not a personal God against whom you sin. As Christians, ultimately, we may hurt other people with our, with our actions, our sins, but uh, God is, is um, being hurt uh, even more so, and, and maybe more importantly, and we can seek God out and, and ask for forgiveness. Uh, Thank, uh, thank the Lord for his grace. We have that opportunity as a, a Hindu uh, because uh, there is no personal God. They don't have the experience of forgiveness and, and uh, being set free of uh, their sins and their brokenness uh, by seeking it out. So um, one of the passages from Scripture they recommend uh, citing is Matthew 11 when Jesus declares, My yoke is easy and my burden is light and talks about how he carries our, our burdens for us. Uh, takes upon himself our brokenness, so it's a concept that is would be foreign to um, somebody of the Hindu faith, but uh, might be a very welcome concept at the same time. And uh, as well as to just lean on this notion of uh, God being a personal God, and uh, because of um, how sin works and our, our depravity, it's a beautiful thing that God is personal because we can be forgiven. And um, salvation comes not by our own actions and, and trying to accomplish, uh, such as a, a Hindu must, um, to, to, through their own actions and, and their own knowledge, eventually getting to the point where they obtain salvation. Um, our salvation is a, a gift direct uh, from God that we simply are asked to receive. And uh, at the same time as, as uh, obtaining forgiveness for our sins and receiving that gift, we receive salvation. And uh, so this notion of a personal God is very different for them, uh, just as an impersonal God is very different and un unusual for us. But it's an, an important concept to, to key in on. Um, and uh, just uh, in addition to that, the end goal uh, for, for those of the Hindu faith is essentially to cease to exist as an individual, uh, which you know, growing up in that culture and that mindset, um, they're well entrenched in that being a positive thing. But there's something about our human nature, I think, uh, that maybe we can appeal to when it comes to working with Hindus that, um, you know, we want to be seen as valuable as an individual. We want to, <laughs> we want to exist. We want to, uh, we want to be able to build towards uh, an eternal existence and, and have that eternal hope of, of seeing ourselves being significant, not just in this world, but in the world to come. And so we can appeal to that um, as well as we're, as we're working with uh, Hindus around uh, witnessing and evangelism right um, and then just a few very quick ones when it comes to evangelism um, uh, these these ones kind of um, are would I would consider for every religion when it comes to evangelism uh, make sure you ask and listen especially with Hinduism Hinduism is vast is a very vastly diverse religion and actually I would uh, encourage everyone to take just a watch a video about India, the country. I mean, it's a mm. fascinating country because there's many languages speaking, many people groups. It's such, it's it's the largest, what, is China the largest country in the world? It's the second largest country in the world. It's between China and India. Um, there's so many people there. Um, so it, it's such a diverse place, incredibly diverse. So um, Hinduism in one part of the country is going to be different than in another part. 
So Hinduism is vast is a vastly diverse religion. Some beliefs unify the religion, but it has no specific doctrine or creed. As such, it's very tolerant and allowing each person to choose his or her set beliefs. So don't assume you know your <laughs> your Hindu friend's beliefs. So um, that doesn't mean <laughs> that's like, oh, disregard everything we just said. Um, no, it's just um, as we said earlier in the podcast, we're giving very, very basics. And I think Hinduism carries some basic beliefs, but um, there's there's great diversity in Hinduism. So I would encourage you, if you know someone who's Hindu, ask them what do they believe um, and why do they believe it. And just, just ask and listen. Um, also have a humble spirit. Don't approach Hindu <laughs> a Hindu with a spirit of a superiority, which I would say that with any religion, don't um, enter with a spirit of spirit with the spirit of superiority, um, respect, um, with respect to our eating of meat and other, our attachment to materialism, Hindus can see Christians as spiritually inferior. Um, so just make sure that, um, we come with a sense of humble spirit. Um, and then the last thing I would say is be aware of different, um, differing definitions. So as a Christian, for example, in Christian terminology, it says being born again is that what we're seeking born again and hinduism that, that would, it means a completely different thing um with the cycle of reincarnation and 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 such when they hear born again they'll that's what the thing that would come to mind but as a christian born again um, means to be made new and regenerated by the transforming power of the holy spirit it's a completely it's it's very different than how a hindu would take it so just making sure that um, we would understand um, the differing definitions. What I also want to say too is that Hinduism is more than just a belief, because we have to remember that in, in in many countries, but especially in Hinduism, but there isn't this huge separation of church and state per se. Hinduism is more than just a belief; it's a culture. So we have to remember that Hinduism is 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 has a lot of connection to the culture of India. So to no longer be a Hindu means you're kind of leaving your culture. And when we talk about, um, eventually we'll talk about Islam, um, that's similar to that. Islam is very connected to the culture, much more than what we think here in America. We have a big separation of church and state, even though I would argue that our country's religion is secularism. But that's another topic. But we have to remember that Hinduism has, has deep roots to the culture. So, Yeah, I think really in the U.S. we're in the minority. Is I, I think that right. through, um, I think the, you know, the Muslim faith, uh, Hinduism, very, uh, very much entwined in, into the culture, uh, Judaism even. And uh, you even, even think about uh, more local examples of uh, Amish, uh, Amish right. folks, you know, right. it's, uh, you can't separate right. the one from it's the other. It's actually not a foreign thing. If you look back throughout human history, religion and governance have been so connected. Even in Rome, when, when it was coming up, the Roman gods and governance were just connected, entwined. So right. it's not a, it's really not a foreign idea. It's throughout human history, it's been around. So, in, in addition to the uh, the barriers that are created by uh, how tightly entwined culture uh, and faith is to to Hindus, a few other things, a few other obstacles that we might encounter as we're trying to um, witness to them. First of all, their understanding is that there are many, many, many paths to God. In fact, the, uh, there are 
through we looked it up. Well, the the book it seemed to be different information <laughs> from different places. The book said 330 million gods in the Hindu faith, and a uh, website uh, said about 10 percent of that. But either way, there's a lot of a lot of gods and many many ways to God. Um, and uh, you know, like Stephen was saying, there's a lot of diversity in the faith itself. So one of the things that uh, in, uh, a Hindu person would struggle with is uh, the suggestion that there, there is only one way to God, but when you have a personal God, the notion of a personal God, and that our brokenness, our, our, um, our need is based upon the fact that we are intended to be in relationship with that God. We're, we're whole and, and healthy when we are in relationship. Uh, we're broken when we're not. So the purpose of our lives is to uh, reclaim and live into that relationship. And when you have a personal God and that is your, your sole purpose in, in life, all of a sudden there becomes, you know, not 330 million ways to God, there becomes just one, and that is to repair that relationship. And how do you repair a relationship? You, you repent and and you seek forgiveness uh, when um, the, the wrong has been done on our side and, and not the other. And uh, so within the framework of a personal God uh, and a belief of that nature, there is only one way to God. So uh, Hindus may struggle with that, but it, it also, as we said before, the notion of a personal God can be uh, very refreshing and, and beautiful uh, to them when we lay it out with all of its, its perks and such. And ultimately, at the end of the day, our, our biggest selling point as Christians is is Jesus. <laughs> There's really nothing better we can do than point people to Jesus, invite them to read the Gospels, um, and uh, as long as we're not, you know, inviting a, a Hindu to be born again per se, I did think that was um, an interesting concept. That for us, it's our, our sole purpose. For them, it's like, oh no, I've been born again, <laughs> uh, which is exactly what they're trying to avoid. Um, so uh, those are, are some pitfalls that we might run into, um, and uh, as we introduce them to Jesus, this notion that um, that Jesus is not unique might come up to them. They're going to begin to see Jesus as similar to uh, one of the many manifestations of Brahma that, that they worship. Um, so showing them that Jesus is distinct. He's not just uh, one of a collection of manifestations of God. Uh, he is the God, and uh, his mission is, is unique and distinct. And once again, inviting them to read the Gospels is an important way to do that. Uh, and um, and then also this concern that they have when it comes to karma, um, they uh, Hindus would have issue with the notion that somebody else uh, would pay off their debt for them, which I thought was an interesting concept. Um, they have this this personal uh, obligation, responsibility to um, solve their own karma problem, and and this notion that Jesus uh, you know, suffered a, a substitutionary death on our behalf. Um, may be a, a beautiful concept to them, uh, but it may take some uh, working around their notions, uh, already existing notions about uh, karma and their, their responsibility for that. And a lot of it comes back to, once again, this notion of a personal God. Everything changes uh, when we accept that to be true. So that, uh, I, I say we need to uh, call it a wrap on, on Hinduism transition into to Buddhism. <laughs> 
and um, hopefully some of the the foundational pieces from Hinduism will help us um, work through this a little bit more quickly and and, uh, with um, equal clarity. Buddhism, just some basics to start us off with. Buddhism uh, is uh, 6% of the world's population are, are Buddhist. And it was founded in the 6th century uh, BCE out of uh, Hinduism, out of that belief system. And it was founded by a a gentleman by the name of, I'll attempt uh, attempt the pronunciation, uh, Siddhartha Gautama. And uh, came to be known as as Buddha later in his life. And um, so a lot of their belief system is is based upon his life and his journey and um, what his message then was to his followers after the fact. So I think in in Buddhism, um, at least for me, all, all of a sudden there's something I can relate to that there's at least a a, a founder, um, somebody that can be pointed to and say that their life and their their message uh, was significant in establishing this faith this uh, faith system. So uh, what do we need to know about the life of Buddha? First of all, he was born into a, a wealthy family in which his father tried to shelter uh, him so that he would never experience uh, suffering. So uh, the first portion of his life was spent uh, living a palace life completely um, uh, you know, void of any suffering, any exposure to suffering. All of a sudden, one day, the story goes, he wandered outside of the palace and uh, into the real world, so to speak, and all of a sudden he encountered all these different kinds of suffering, intense suffering, and he was horrified by it, uh, so much so that it prompted him at that time, he was already uh, married, had a child, he left his, his family, left his wife and child, left a life of luxury, and he committed the rest of his life to seeking out the source of suffering and trying to solve the problem of suffering. His first attempt at this was to become an extreme ascetic, uh, so to give up uh, wealth and live a very simple and and spiritual lifestyle. Um, That lasted six years until his extreme asceticism had his body in in such a weak state that he almost drowned uh, in a river and made the decision ultimately that asceticism wasn't uh, the path to uh, avoiding and and conquering suffering, so he changed his, his tactics. Um, and went into a period of uh, enlightenment. The third portion of his life was spent on enlightenment. Um, It started when he he, uh, left where he was staying. He went to a a nearby city. He sat down and vowed not to move uh, from his spot until he had achieved enlightenment, uh, went into a state of deep meditation, was tempted by uh, the the Buddhist equivalent of of Satan, tempted by the evil one, resisted that temptation, eventually uh, gains enlightenment. And it's at that point that he took on the name Buddha, which means enlightened one. And he called his path to enlightenment uh, the middle way because he had he had decided, he had, he had learned that it wasn't uh, either extreme. It wasn't great wealth and, and pleasure, affluence. It wasn't asceticism and depriving ourselves. It was something right down the middle uh, that, that led to his enlightenment. And he took his message and his experience and he started to preach. He converted thousands of, of people to his uh, system of beliefs. Uh, Buddhism was born. He plugged uh, those individuals into different communities, and um, and the rest is history. So, uh, Buddhism 
can be divided and uh, because we, we get a little deep into the weeds here when we do this uh, too much but just to cover just an overview uh, Buddhism can be divided largely into two uh, branches the first is the Mahayana uh, branch and they believe that enlightenment is uh, available to anyone um, and then the second is the Hinayana or um, uh, they began to call themselves Theravada Buddhists, and they believe that enlightenment is only available to a select few individuals. So a lot of diversity within Buddhism. Um, and, and so because of their differing beliefs, they ended up kind of going different directions uh, with their purpose and their focus. Uh, one branch focused more on achieving their own enlightenment. Others uh, worked on uh, work, uh, striving for their own. But then uh, this concept um, came to be that uh, you could achieve enlightenment but choose not to receive it and instead stick around to help others uh, achieve enlightenment themselves. Um, other things they differ on is whether uh, Buddha was actually a, only a man or whether he was divine, um, whether there was only one manifestation of Buddha or whether there have been many, many others um, over the years, other people who have come with that same essence. And in uh, this concept of, uh, as I kind of alluded to a moment ago, karmic merit. So as they work through their own karma, which is an, a concept within Buddhism as well, um, can they, you know, when they achieve good karma, can they pass on their extra karma, so to speak, to other people who, who need it uh, as well? And Buddhism um, ex extended into neighboring countries and areas, and I'm not going to go into detail, but a certain um, sect of Buddhism began in, in China and then Japan. Um, and you may be familiar with uh, uh, Tantra Buddhism, which became the, the primary uh, form of Buddhism in, in Tibet, uh, where you've, you've probably heard the name the, the Dalai Lama is one of the most recognizable living symbols of, of Buddhism. Um, and so it, this, uh, it divided and it spread and uh, took on many different forms, once again, very diverse. And um, it just <laughs> hard for us to wrap our heads around, but we're just looking for the basic concepts here. And uh, then going to take a peek at how to interact and, and how to uh, witness to folks of, of the Buddhist faith. Right. So kind of um, I think there's a couple of things that important to know when it comes um, when we come to evangelizing and speaking to um, Buddhists. And, and there's something... This is also, um, as Paul mentioned, Buddhism has kind of rose out or has risen out of Hinduism, so there's some um, crossover there. Um, but in Buddhism, there's some certain teachings that are very important. But just like in Hinduism, there's so much diversity um, within Hinduism. And, and the same within Buddhism, there's so much diversity. So I would even encourage, if you know someone who's Buddhist, ask what they believe. Um, but there are some certain beliefs that that do cross over um, and that there are some commonalities. So um, as we've already seen, there's obviously extreme variations within the religion known as Buddhism. Nevertheless, there are some beliefs that most Buddhists share, um, and that's called the Four Noble Truths. Um, so the Four Noble Truths, the first noble truth is life consists of suffering, this concept of suffering includes experiences of pain, misery, sorrow, and unfulfillment. Um, the second noble truth is everything is impermanent and and every and ever changing. Um, so we suffer because we desire those things that are impermanent. So 
Um, the first noble truth is that they're suffering. The second noble truth is that everything is impermanent and ever-changing. The third noble truth is that um, the way to liberate oneself from suffering is by eliminating all desire. We must stop craving that which is impermanent. So, and then the fourth noble truth is um, desire can be eliminated by following the eightfold path, which, considered, which consists of eight points. So, um, just a quick summary. The first noble truth is that there's suffering. The second noble truth is that um, everything is Im impermanent and ever-changing. And the third noble truth is that um, the way to liberate oneself from suffering is by eliminating all desires. And the fourth noble truth is um, desire can be eliminated by following the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path, um, quickly, is obviously um, eight points. <laughs> um, and they're kind of broken down into three categories. The first category is wisdom. And that means having the, um, having the right understanding and the right thought. Um, the second category is ethical conduct, so having the right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Um, and then the third category is mental discipline, having right effort, right awareness, and right meditation. Um, so these eight points are, are not just steps that must be done in sequential order. Instead, they're attitudes and actions that are developed simultaneously with each other. Um, so as you practice this eightfold path, it helps you to... Um, helps you to eliminate all desires, which when you eliminate desires, you're not connected to things that are impermanent and ever-changing, which means you can eliminate suffering, right? So that's, that's the goal, is to eliminate the suffering that we're experiencing by detaching from the desires around us. Um, so that's kind of what that Eightfold Path is, what the Four Noble Truths are. And as I said, there's great diversity within Buddhism, um, but this Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path are, are, are ways in which um, there's some similarities. There's also certain texts um, that Buddhists would read and different proverbs and sayings and such that all are part of the process of um, eliminating desire. Um, and what I also want to mention quickly, too, um, before um, we speak about uh, suggestions for evangelism, um, I want to speak real quickly to the differences between Buddha and Jesus and just how, really, within every religion we're going to speak about on this podcast, Jesus just stands out kind of like a sore thumb. He's just so different than all the religious founders that we'll read about. He's just so different. Um, he, but Buddha, so it's so kind of contrasting Buddha and Jesus. Buddha never claimed to have a special relationship with God. In fact, Buddha did not consider the matter of God, God's existence important because it did not pertain to the issue um, to how, because it's pertaining to the issue of how to escape suffering. But yet Jesus claims to be God. Uh, Buddha claimed to point to a way in which we can escape suffering and, ob and obtain enlightenment. Jesus claimed to be the way in which we can receive salvation and eternal life. And then Buddha taught um, taught that we the way to eliminate suffering is by eliminating desire. Jesus thought the solution. Jesus said the solution for suffering is found not in eliminating desire, but having the right desire. Um, so you can just see. You can see some crossover, but you also can see that Jesus is so different in who he is, um, what scripture says he is, what he claims to be, um, his death, his resurrection. The story of Jesus just stands out like a sore thumb when it comes to other faiths around us. Yeah, and I think um, 
I think with any religion, as we begin to look at the, the differences between uh, Jesus and, and um, their faith or their faith leaders or founders or, or the, different just, uh, the differences between the belief systems, one of the most important things is to, to start by recognizing commonality. So you, what do we share that we can celebrate and, um, and then build off of those things? And, you know, as, as Stephen was sharing, uh, the, the contrasts uh, between Jesus and, and Buddhism and their understanding of Jesus, I think already looking at some of the things we can build upon, like this notion of, um, you know, desire for uh, Buddhists, the goal is to to not uh, to to not desire anything that's impermanent. And uh, as Christians, I think we can we can celebrate that concept um, and uh, and then build upon that to point them towards the one thing that we should desire, and, and that is uh, a healthy relationship and and obedience to God. Um, so it's it's always building upon those commonalities and. Another uh, common ground that we share with uh, Buddhists that we can build upon, one is that um, we recognize that desire can cause suffering. So, uh, you know, as, as Christians, um, especially in very materialistic uh, societies, our desires uh, for things or desires for status or whatever can, can lead to uh, suffering. So I think to acknowledge that is important, especially in this context. Uh, and then to acknowledge that true peace comes when we instead focus on things that are permanent in nature. Um, both both faith, faith systems uh, suggest the importance of living a moral life um, and doing so through self-discipline. Self-discipline does, in fact, have spiritual value. Uh, both of them uh, place high importance on meditation and, and prayer, uh, the importance of treating others with compassion, um, you know, taking care of our fellow brothers and sisters. So I think there's a lot of common ground that we can build upon. Um, and uh, I think similar to Hinduism, uh, one of the important pieces when you're witnessing to somebody of the Buddhist faith is to emphasize this notion of a personal God. And with such an importance placed on um, the avoidance of, of suffering or escaping suffering, uh, how valuable is a personal God to obtaining uh, freedom from suffering, a God who can uh, love us, who can uh, forgive us of, of our sins, who can hear our prayers, a God who can empathize with us uh, because in, in uh, the very most personal way, uh, he became one of us and, and walked amongst us. So uh, emphasizing the importance of a personal God and, and the beauty of uh, having a personal God when it comes to combating suffering, I think is a good uh, piece to, to hit home. Um, and also celebrating permanence. Um, that uh, that we do need to focus on things in life that are permanent, uh, things that have uh, lasting value. Um, just to that, in, in our situation, we believe that human beings can uh, be one of those things. As we connect with our personal and permanent God, um, we can be counted amongst those things uh, who, who have permanence and have um, ultimate value and that we don't then, at the end of uh, our, our existence, uh, cease to exist, or at the end of our time in this world, cease to exist, that our value can carry forward in a, a permanent uh, state, permanent manner into eternity. 
uh, where we share God's permanence um, on into forever. So I think uh, these are some points you can hammer home and and once again meet them in a place of humility, uh, find and celebrate the common ground, but build upon them uh, some of these other notions as well. Yeah, and and again, I I think that's what Paul is saying. I completely agree with this, finding those common grounds that help bridge um, the discussions that we have with other people um, of, of different faiths, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, whatever it may be, secularism, it doesn't matter. I think finding those common grounds and also always making sure that we, as I said earlier, treating people with um, respect and um, kindness and compassion. And part of the goal um, that we're doing religions right now, um, part of the goal why we're doing it is is in a, an attempt for us to um, seek understanding from our neighbors around us because people don't really care what you know until they how's that saying until they know that you care until they know that you care yeah I know where you're going yeah Yeah, right so people don't um, care what you know until they know that you care so learning other religions around you can and people can say wow thanks for taking the time to learn what I believe and also it helps us with our own how we treat people and what we may say to uh, of a certain religion it helps us to not offend people um, at least in, in, a, in a way that um, we don't want to accidentally offend the people around us. Um, we want to be able to speak and witness um, for Christ. Um, and we see how Christ treated people around him, um, even when he quote um, spoke to the Gentiles, right? They weren't Jewish people, but every time he interacted with a Gentile, um, he incorporated them and said, like, listen, the kingdom of God is going to be um, is for you as well. So making sure that when we're speaking to people who are not Christians, that um, we see their um, human dignity and they're made in the image of God. Um, and the goal is all, always to um, preach Christ, really. So. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that is so important, um, too, is, is our attitude as we approach right. this task. Uh, you know, and it's such a fine line because um, I think we tend to lean to one extreme or the other. We, we think that, uh, you know, either we have to go in, um, you know, close, close-minded and, and with closed ears and just be very uh, confident and overly assertive about our, our faith. Or uh, the only other alternative we often convince ourselves is that we go in um, very passive and uh, just, um, you know, all all mushy and, <laughs> and and not able to really assert anything. Like there is, there is middle ground. There is the ability to go in. Um, most importantly, with that attitude that that sees that person as a child of God and and senses and and feels God's uh, just incredible desire to gain relationship. Um, you know, we're carrying God's love and and God's desire to be in relationship and redeem this individual in in our hands in our heart as we engage. Them and I think to have a sense of the magnitude of that is so important as we as we seek uh, to to witness to folks. So I think that's incredibly important. Um, but we can go with confidence um, in what we believe as well. You know, respecting their humanity and, and their status as a child of God, but also right. uh, confidence that our faith is right. uh, legitimate and uh, boldness in our faith. So it's just a. A difficult balance, um, but but an important one nonetheless. Right. 
so I think uh, I think we're winding things down here. Um, I, one of the things I wanted to return to, we uh, had a, a '90s TV show theme. So just as we wrap up, you know, we covered Reading Rainbow uh, reference earlier today. <laughs> I wanted to check back in with Stephen. Stephen, do you remember the? The main character uh, from from Home Improvement, Tim Allen's character. What was his name again? Uh, Tim Allen, I think. Tim. Was it Tim? Yeah. yeah okay. It All right. As, you know, if, as we're covering huge <laughs> world issues and and uh, these these grand concepts, I want to make sure we're picking up on the small things too. Right. So I'm glad we're making progress there. <laughs> Exactly. That's funny. Um, yeah, maybe we'll have to find some more '90s um, TV references throughout the way. Yeah, um, they'll probably come out naturally. Right. Don't have to work too hard. So yeah, I want to thank everyone for listening, um, and we're excited about. Um, I know Paul and I have really benefited from studying and learning these things, and we hope that this has been um, helpful for you as well. Um, getting to learn the different religions around us, especially as our culture continues to diversify. It's going to be important to know these things, at least the very basics of them. Hmm. Um, so um, I also just want to remind everyone that we're open here on Sunday. Um, parking lot service for 8.30, 10 o'clock in person, 11.30 in person as well. 11.30 also streaming. So we always encourage to see you face-to-face. Um, and we always um, just thank you for um, <laughs> coming up to us and uh, mentioning the podcast, and that's very helpful. It's always good to know that people are listening, so we we really take that uh, um, as an encouragement and just always happy to hear that. So, um, again, thank you all for listening, and uh, hopefully you join us again next week.